This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. We are in in, uh, the second week of a series called Family, and uh, we're looking at family values that God's given in the Word of God to strengthen families. We're taking the word family, F-A-M-I-L-Y, and each Sunday focusing on a different letter. Last week was the letter F, today is the letter A. So if you have your notes, I hope you'll follow along uh, and learn about accepting God's design for family life. The Bible tells us that God created family. It's his idea. When he put Adam and Eve together and he commanded them in the Garden of Eden to have children, he did one of two things. You think about it for a second. He either left them clueless about the roles and design of family and said, you guys just kind of figure it out as you go, kind of learn as you go. I'm not going to help you out with this. You're on your own. I'm not really interested. Or God said, hey, you know what? I've got I've got specifics to your role as father, as husband, as wife, as mother, as children. There are things and ways I want you to fit in to this family. I have some definitions to the values that I'm going to share with you that make families strong. Now, I personally believe it was the second of the two, that God didn't leave us clueless, that God did say, here's how family works. Here's how you love one another. Here's how you get along. Here's what marriage is about. Here's what raising children. Here's how you do that. Here's how you discipline. Here's how you care for, how you provide. I think that's all discovered by us in his word. It's there, and, uh, and, I, and I believe that very strongly. If it's true that this eternal God, and the Bible says he never changes, if it's true that he assigned roles and definitions to marriage and family, then he did so to protect us in family environments from destroying ourselves. The truth is that today in 2010, we are in this society, in in our culture, dangerously close I believe, to totally losing the spiritual moorings, the things that tied us close to God. We're we're losing those moorings um, of love and marriage and family that kept us near to him. And when those ropes, those things that tied us, if you will, as a ship to a dock, when those ropes are loose, when they're cut completely, We will have, as a country, as a culture, as a society, we will have lost the very basis for our society. And I believe that we're seeing it happen right before our eyes. Last week, if you were here, our main point was this. I need to put God first in my life and in my family. That's the foundation. That's where it begins. God, you're first in my life. You're first in my family's life. Put God first. And I shared five areas where you should do that in our, in our finances, in our interests, in our relationships, in our scheduling, and in our troubles. I appreciate uh, someone sent me an email this week, past week, and said, thank you for not just saying to us, put God first, but then you said, and here's how you do that. Here's how you make it happen. You know, the Word of God is, is practical and it's relevant. It's not just a book to read and then close and put away. There's, there's truth in there. There are life-changing principles within the Word of God that God wants us to know. So if I was here last week, and if you weren't, I encourage you to go and listen on our podcast. Go to our website and click on media, and you'll find our podcast, how you can listen to the messages that maybe you missed, because maybe you were out of town visiting with mom last week, and that's a good thing to do. But go back and listen and catch up on that first foundational message. But if I put God first, 
then what's next? And that's today. A is this. I must align my personal and my family lives up with God's standard. Alignment. You know, when you take your car to the shop because you're driving down the road and your steering wheel's doing this, when you go down the road, you realize I need to get my front end aligned. I need to get my wheels turned back straight because they're going like this or they're not working right. I need to align my values. I need to align my life, my family's life, up with God's standards. Again, you're an intelligent crowd this morning, I can tell, even though I can't see you. I can tell you're an intelligent crowd. I could just, you know, Lauren's here. That just kind of raises the IQ of everybody today. Got a college degree. She graduated, I said, summa cum laude, and I was telling Rich the other day, I graduated, oh, laude. Uh, you know, Lauren's here, and um, you're an intelligent group. Where do we find God's standards and God's values? Somebody tell me. In the Bible, in God's Word, absolutely. Here's some cornerstone passages in the Scripture I'm going to share with us this morning on family. And what they tell us is this. God's design for the family assigns roles to us. Husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, children. Some of those roles that God's word assigns to us are based on God's creative details. What do you mean by that, Rick? Well, Everybody with any sense, and and there are a lot of people in this world that have no sense. Would you agree with me? But anybody with any sense at all recognizes that men and women are different in how God created us. The most obvious difference is physical. I mean, we're just built, constructed, biologically, we're different. We have different things going on inside of us, different ways we're put together, so physically we're different. That's obvious. But we're also different emotionally and psychologically. Some of those differences are from how we were created by God. God made us different in in our emotions. He wired us differently Uh, men and women. But if we're honest, I think that a lot of those differences, especially when it comes to psychology, and we're not here today to talk about psychology, but uh, those differences, some of those are things that are the results of sin on our character and, and on our psychological makeup. Culture has taken those differences, and there are a lot of popular terms and phrases for the differences between men and women. For example, I grew up hearing this phrase, and maybe you did too. I didn't know what it meant for a long, long time. Then I got married and started figuring it out. But there was this phrase that I heard when I was a little boy, the battle of the sexes. And I thought, you know, when I got to be, you know, 10, 11, 16, 17 years old, something like that, I kind of figured out what the word sex meant. And then battle, and I thought, Okay, what is that all about, battle? And, and so it's about the differences between us. And when you put us together sometimes, as men and women, there can be conflict, can't there? Why? Because we're different. Uh, there's a, there are other terms. For example, um, uh, you learned this uh, if, you, if you remember the 60s. I talked about this last week. Some of you lived the 60s, but you can't remember anything from it. But if you remember the 60s, You remember the phrase that said, don't trust anyone over 30. Yeah, here's a bunch of, they're all over here. Peace. All right, don't don't trust anybody over 30. And we talk, the the phrase that we use sometimes is we talk, and we still use this phrase, we talk about the generation gap. 
My parents just don't understand me. I cannot figure my kids out. You know, there's this gap, and we talk about the differences between young and used to be young. Generation gap. Uh, Here's one that that came out as a title of a book, but it so well describes the differences between men and women. Maybe you read the book. You've heard the phrase, women are from Venus, men are from Mars. Like we're from two different planets, Venus, the goddess of love, Mars, the god of war, you know, and uh, soft and delicate and I'll pounce on you and just tear you to pieces, you know. And, and it's kind of like the difference between men and women and, and how, we're, how we're constructed. Those differences, and they are very real, show up in every relationship, in every family, in every home. Whenever you put men and women and kids together in any context, you'll see us struggle with roles. It's a universal thing. It affects us all. You mean, Rick, that... You and Gail occasionally butt heads in your marriage? Absolutely. You know, I'm a man, she's a woman. You mean that sometimes, Rick, your kids had a tough time following your directions? Sometimes, Rick, you're saying that you messed up in giving them the guidance they needed, and the answer is, hey, you know, you don't have to ask me, ask them. Every family, every marriage battles with these God-assigned roles. And how do we survive? If it really is, there's all these struggle and the struggle and conflict, how do we survive? Well, the answer goes back to last Sunday. We have to put God where in our lives? First. God's got to be first. That's got to be step number one. That's got to be foundational. But then once we've made God first, then the, only, the next thing logically that we must do is accept these roles that God has given us as his design. And to do that means I've got to, you've got to accept God as the supreme authority in your life. Supreme authority. I volunteer, one of the things I do in the community in in a volunteer basis is I volunteer as the chaplain for the local detachment of the Marine Corps League. The Marine Corps League is a bunch of old Marines who get together and they do some good things for Marines and toys for tots and different things like that. And they have monthly meetings and we all wear these neat, we have these neat hats, you know, kind of Marine Corps style hats and, and uh, salute and, and oorah. And they say all that kind of stuff. You know, we got guys from Korea and Vietnam and in there and I serve as their chaplain and one of my functions as chaplain is to come to the meetings and I open and close the meeting with prayer. It's pretty cool. They call me up, chaplain comes up and I open the Bible and then I pray and at the end of the meeting, I close the Bible and pray. And, and they have these prayers, you know, they kind of have these written out prayers kind of deal, you know, that they want you to pray and, and, uh, and I get a chuckle out of it. Uh, you know, when I first saw this, I thought, I've never called God that before, but I'll do it, it's okay. And uh, so the prayer begins with these. Were any, any Marines out here? Any Marine Corps? Yeah, Mike. Anybody else? Got one. Semper Fi. What, what's that? The few and the... You're really few today. Here's, here's, here's what, how the prayer begins that I pray as I lead them in this. In their Supreme Commandant. Talking to God. Supreme Commandant. The Commandant of the Marine Corps is the top guy in the entire United States Marine Corps. He's a four-star general. He is the ultimate authority of the United States Marine Corps. 
and, when, and, and he's in charge. Nobody is higher than the, in the Marine Corps than the, supreme, than, the, than the commandant. We pray, and it goes supreme commandant. So for you and I, in our lives, we're not Marines, but in our design for God's design for our marriage and his family, it only works if I consider God my supreme commandant, the ultimate authority in my life. Well, that word's not in the Bible, Rick, commandant. You're right, it's not. So let's use a word that is, Lord. What does Lord mean? It means the supreme authority in my life. It means the one who owns me. It means the one who has, above all else, dominion and power over my life. Lord. Listen to Jesus' words to to those who wanted to call him Lord, but they refused in their lives to submit to his teaching. He asked them in Luke 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord? But don't do what I tell you. How can you say I'm your supreme authority in your life, yet when I say do this, you go, I don't think so. I can't be your Lord if you're not going to do what I say. If I'm going to be your Lord, you have to submit to my authority. Right now, I'd like for us to bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. And here's what I hope that you'll pray. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to share some things this morning that, that, that are going to, that's, some of the things I, I share this morning will rattle some of you. It's controversial what I'm going to say today. It does not fit in with today's culture because our culture, again, is far away from those moorings with God. But I want you to pray, and I hope that here's what you'll pray, that you'll pray God's Spirit will have control of your minds and open your ears and open your heart today. In fact, that, that's a good thing to pray every time we come together to worship and open the scriptures. So would you take just a moment right now, just silently, to say, God, I want you to know I'm listening, and I, I want to yield to you, to what you have to say this morning. Would you bow with me? Amen. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures this morning from the book of 1 Corinthians, from the book of Colossians. They were written by the Apostle Paul to first century churches in the Greek culture. We, we know a lot of things about Greek culture from their writings, from, from uh, their scholars, from, uh, from, uh, from, from archaeology, from things that we've discovered about the first century. Some things like this. In Greek culture, women were pretty much property of men. Divorce was easy and simple. It was commonplace and acceptable in Greek culture for a man who was married to have a couple of mistresses on the side in addition to his wife. In fact, in pagan Greek religion, in the city of Ephesus, for example, in the temple there, part of their religious practice was to, at the temple, were temple prostitutes. That was part of how they worshiped their gods. And so when on Friday night, the husband would say, honey, I'm going down to the temple to be religious, didn't do much to endear him to, her, to his wife, you understand. In the city of Corinth, where Paul writes two letters to the New Testament, we're going to read from one of those in just a moment. In the city of Corinth, the morals were so loose in that town Sex was with whoever you wanted to, whenever you wanted to, however you wanted to, didn't make any difference. And so in that whole Roman Empire, they had slang terms then like we do as well for things. And, and one of the slang terms, one of the, uh, 
the ways they describe loose sexual activity was they had the C word, and the C word in their culture was to Corinthianize. That meant to do, sleep with whoever you wanted to, whatever, you know, anything goes. Paul writes to that church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in that kind of culture, and he says, however, I want you to realize that Christ has authority over every man. A husband has authority over his wife, and God has authority over Christ. Now, from that verse and from some places in Colossians where we'll also look, we discover some things that God has to say about how he has designed family. First point is this, if you're taking notes. God holds the husband directly responsible to Christ. God holds the husband. Guys, I want, I want to talk with you for a moment. Ladies, you can listen in, but I want to kind of hammer this home with the guys. I want to talk man to man uh, for a few moments. You remember the story from Genesis about Adam and Eve and how Eve was there in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis and was deceived by Satan into disobeying God and eating from that tree that God said, you can eat any tree, any of the fruit from any of the trees you want except for this one. And she got deceived by Satan and she picked the fruit and gave it to Adam and he ate the forbidden fruit and saw what happened. The Bible says his eyes was, were open to their nakedness and what he, got, he got run over by a freight train called sin is what happened to Adam. And there they are, and Adam, as a result of what happened to him, he devised a plan. Well, here's what we need to do. Now we need to cover ourselves up with fig leaves. So they made some aprons out of fig leaves, you know, kind of look like Tarzan and Jane, covering up their nakedness. And guys, ever since then, we have been trying to cover up our weaknesses and our failures hoping God won't notice. Is that dumb or what? But that's what men do. You remember what God said that day? They're, they've done this, committed this sin. Eve was deceived. Adam ate the fruit, came up with this plan. Let's cover it up. Maybe God won't notice anything different about us. And God shows up in the garden to have some conversation and fellowship with Adam. And he calls out, some words. You remember what God said there, there in Genesis 3? He said, Adam, where are you? He didn't call out to Eve, guys. He called out to Adam. He didn't call Eve front and center. She was the one that was deceived. In fact, you remember the, the, after they got into the conversation, God said, what's the deal with the fig leaves here, Adam? Well, that woman that you gave me, that's what, that was Adam's response. It's her fault. And guys, we've been doing that ever since. Blaming that woman that God gave us for whatever's wrong in our own lives. And why did God call Adam? And the answer is because in marriage, God has placed the ultimate leadership of that home, of that marriage, of that relationship on us, guys, on men. And as the God-ordained leader of his home, Adam was responsible. Here's what happened in the garden. Eve might have been the one deceived by the serpent and picked the fruit, but Adam failed. 
Where was Adam when Eve was doing? Adam should have been there protecting her from whatever was evil in that place. He should have been her protector. Instead, Adam's out somewhere counting butterflies. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not there protecting Eve, doing what he should be doing. Who knows? God has made you, husband. He's made you to be first in line in the family. It goes back to creation when God made Adam first, then created Eve. This isn't the result of sin, this order in the family. It happened before sin was committed. In fact, Paul explains it simply in 1 Timothy 2.13. When he said God made Adam first, afterward he made Eve, and he's describing the order of the family. That first, well, what does that mean that, man, I'm first in line? Does it mean I'm superior? No. Does it mean I have ownership? No. First simply means leadership. And every family needs a leader. Every marriage needs a leader. Why? Because there will come times in a marriage when the final decision has to be made. And oftentimes that final decision is a hard one. And that places a huge responsibility, husbands, on us, on our shoulders. We better get it right. And here's why. If we don't, what happens is we end up not only hurting ourselves, but we end up dragging our family down with us. Being first, guys, doesn't mean that we have some kind of dictatorial dominance over our wives. I've seen guys, Christian guys, I've heard it preached in churches. Men, you're in charge. Be the boss, you know. And, and, I, and I've seen guys take this to the wrong extreme, this idea of authority, and, and they say, well, so I'm the boss, and you, little woman, you're going to like it or not. I don't care, but God's made me boss. If you don't like it, take it up with him, but you better do what I say. You know, those kind of guys are dumb. They, they just don't get what the Word of God says. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 with me. God, through Paul, writes these words, and you husbands... You must love your wives and never treat them harshly, forcibly making them submit. The word harshly, by the way, means to make bitter. I'll quote here from the Bible Knowledge Commentary because it says it so well. Assuming absolute authority, speaking to men, you assume absolute authority. That will only embitter one's wife not endear her. Wives, and we'll talk about this more next week, wives, like tender and sensitive flowers, may wilt under authoritarian dominance, but blossom with tender, loving care. So in a maturing marriage, a husband exercises compassionate care, and his wife responds in willing submission to his loving leadership. I'm not going to ask the ladies to raise their hand. I'm not going to take a poll here but because I already know the answer. But how many of you ladies would rather be loved tenderly and gently and led with love and compassion than be constantly badgered and forced and told what to do all the time by somebody that doesn't seem to love you at all? And so many ladies would say, you know, if my husband just loved me that way, I, 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 I'd, I'd do any. I, I'd climb the highest mountain and I'd swim the deepest ocean for him. I'd do anything. All right, let's switch gears. Guys, uh, do you understand God's placed you directly responsible to him for your marriage, for your family? You get that? Oh, wow. Last hour they said, yeah. 
Do you get it? Thank you, brother. (laughs) Ladies, we're in trouble here today. I want you to know, guys don't get it. Guys, get it? You said, got it. (laughs) One more time. Hey, guys, get it? Good. All right, here we go. Hoo-wee. Not enough caffeine or something. Secondly, the scripture here tells us that God holds wives directly responsible to their husbands. Now, let me ask you, do you think this is a politically correct statement in our culture? Thank you. It's not. No way. But for there to be godly order in the marriage, wives have to place themselves under their husband's authority. That's the way God's designed it. And just as men naturally rebel, and we do, fellas, we naturally rebel at this idea of being held accountable for protecting my wife, my family, for providing. God's going to hold me accountable. I don't know if I want that responsibility. Well, then you shouldn't have said, I do. We rebel at that, and, and just as guys will naturally, let's be honest, guys will naturally abuse authority, women will also naturally rebel against this concept of submitting to their husband's authority. In that same passage in Colossians where the Bible tells men to love their wives and treat them with gentleness, it says to wives, and you wives must submit to your husbands. Must is a really complicated word, isn't it? No. But here's what it says, and please get this. That submission to your husband's wives is something you've got to choose to do. It's not something he can force you to do. It's something God wants you to say, and I willingly, lovingly place myself under God's authority over me. It's not optional if you want to have God bless your marriage. Unless you think, and I hope you don't, this is not where we're coming from at all, But lest you think that this idea of being responsible to your husband is some kind of forced servitude, would you please consider this? Here's a great apologetic for for the gospel and what it does in cultures. In every culture where real Christianity has come in and lives have been changed as people receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, I say real Christianity because there's a lot of phony Christianity out there. In every culture, real Christianity elevates women to a higher status than they've ever had before. It elevates them to an equal status with men. You see, the God of the Bible doesn't command women to walk behind their man. It doesn't command women to be uneducated or barefoot and pregnant. You're not to be a doormat, ladies, Christianity, real Christianity, liberates women from the oppression of culture and religion and sets you free to be the woman that God created you to be. See, our our problem is, ladies tell me, we have the same problem too, men. We just don't like that word submit. And, and I say this with, with compassion for, uh, for, for a lot of folks here, a lot of ladies here. One of the reasons why this ruffles your feathers, this whole idea, is that because some of you wives, God bless you, you have never been loved by a husband who loves you like Christ loves the church. And some are wondering, maybe, yeah, but Rick, you don't understand. What, uh, my husband, 
as an unbeliever? What if I'm married to somebody who doesn't know God? Is he still God's authority in my life? Well, there is so much more to be said about making marriage, making family work. And next week, I want to continue with this and and hope to answer some of those kinds of questions and fill in some of the blanks and hopefully bring it together. So today is, A, about accepting God's role. Next week is going to be about making it work in your family. So I hope you'll come back next Sunday. We're going to cover some of those things and look at some more scriptures. But let me wrap up today. We've talked about husbands and we've talked about wives. There's a third group that we need to talk about today, and there's some of you here today. What about children? The Bible doesn't just speak to adults. It says here children are under their parents' authority. You children must always obey your parents, for this is what pleases the Lord. The word must, I said wasn't a real complicated word. How complicated is the word always? You know, that's not complicated either. You children must always obey obey your parents for this is what pleases the Lord. Now, we're in a church full of young parents here at Nags Head Church. And it is fun for someone like me who's already reared up my family. My kids are grown. They're married. They're having children of their own. Uh, for somebody in my stage of life and a lot of, lot of, other, uh, of others of you like me, it's fun for those of us who have been there and done that to watch these young families as they, as they try to work it all out, you know. It's not unusual for parents, to, and I'm on Facebook with a lot of you, and, and to be, oh, look at Facebook and see what some of you have written, see one of our Our parents, mom or dad, come on Facebook and they post on Facebook. I don't understand what's happened to my precious angel. She turned two and she went from being this angelic, sweet little child to this demon from hell overnight. What in the world happened? And those of us who've been there, done that, we just kind of sit back and say, yep. Uh Uh-huh. Kids suddenly, what what happened to my baby? Now she's just got a two-word vocabulary, no and mine. She's rebellious and she thinks the whole world is about her. What happened? It's part of our nature, kids, young people. It's part of our nature to rebel. That nature is not the way God made us. That's part of our sin. And that shows up. When we're young, the Bible teaches us that God gives us as children to our parents as their heritage. It tells us that the role God has given to mom and dad is so that they can teach and prepare us for life. One of the things that that you need to know, young people, and, and I love, you know, and every parent has gone through this experience with their children sometime, typically when they're when they're young, and you'll sit there and you'll pull out the family photo album, you know, of when you were growing up. And you sit down with the little ones and you say, and here's mommy, here's daddy, when I was a little boy, when I was a little girl. And they look up at you like, no way. You were a kid? Yeah. You, that can't be. Oh, yeah, yeah, please understand. You know, grandma and grandpa, that's my mom and dad. I had no idea you were ever this young. 
You know, you've all been through that experience, and it's kind of like they just kind of get wide-eyed, and it's like, where did that come from? Changes their lives. Well, young people, you need to know that a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> your parents were the exact same age that you are now. They went to school just like you. They had friends. They dealt with zits. They wanted to get their driver's license. And just like you, chances are they had parents telling them what to do and what not to do. They've been where you are. And hopefully, because they're older, because they've already been down the road that you're on right now, they've gained some experience And because of that experience, even though it was in the dark ages, they've gained some wisdom that can only come with years. So please understand, you young people here this morning, God placed you in the home that you're in. Whether it was through birth or through adoption, foster situation, God placed you in the home that you're in so that your parents could teach you about life and hopefully to teach you from some of the mistakes that they made growing up so that you don't have to make the same mistakes that they made. See, he's chosen your parents. God has put you in this family. He's chosen your parents. You need to see mom and dad this way as his representatives in your life, as his authority. They represent him for you to teach you his ways, to be an example for you to follow. And that means you need to obey them. Even when, parents, don't listen to this. Just let me just talk to the kids. Even when what they say seems to make no sense at all, you need to obey them. When they, what they say seems to go against the grain, when their rules are stricter than your, parent, your friend's parents, sometimes, young people, you just got to trust mom and dad. Why? Because they truly want you to be the best you can be in life. They love you, and that's what they want for your life. Another reason God says for you to obey mom and dad is because you learn obedience in the home. If you don't learn it in the home, you're going to struggle outside the home, whether it's at school or or whether it's at work. And if you don't learn to submit to the authorities that God gave you in the home, mom and dad, stepmom, stepdad, whoever they might be, if you don't learn to submit to the authorities God's given you in the home, please understand that later on in life, the punishment gets greater than getting a time out. Obeying your parents gets you ready for the real adult world. Because here's the fact of life, kids. You're going to grow up and become an adult one day. We hope you make it that, that far. And one of these days, trust me, I know you're, yeah, you're this old guy telling me this stuff. But I really can remember the dawning of the age of Aquarius in my life when it opened my, and I realized, you know what, I'm a grown-up person. I'm out here on my own. I can do whatever I want to do, right? No. My boss told me when I had to be at work. I had to pay money for rent. I had to do all these things. Everybody was demanding things for me. I wasn't living however I wanted to live. You can't live that way. And your parents 
want to guide you to realize that that's going to come one day in your life. You always will have rules to obey. And so there's got to be some personal discipline, and you'll learn that now in the home. Your parents are there to help you make it to adulthood. Just like husbands have to submit to God and cooperate with him, and wives have to recognize their husbands as God's appointed leader in the home and cooperate with him, you as young people, as children in the home, have to see your mom and dad or step-parents, whoever they are, as God's appointed authorities in your life. Now, here's the question. Is that easy? Somebody tell me, is it easy? It wasn't easy for me. I have this rebellious streak, you know. It wasn't easy for me. I don't think it's easy for you either, especially as you get older. But if your parents are wise, and please hear this, God will hold your mom and dad accountable for how they parent you. If your parents are wise, they'll learn how to gradually let you start making your own decisions. But that means you'll get to accept when you start making your own decision. Hey, Dad, can I go? Well, what do you think? You think that's a good thing for you to do? I'll let you make up your mind on that. One of these days, your dad's going to say that to you. And you're going to go, wow, Dad's treating me with respect. He's treating me like an adult. Yeah, and when you get in trouble for doing something stupid, Dad's going to say, that was his choice. You know, I gave it to him. You're going to be held accountable for your own choices when you make the wrong ones. Next Sunday's really like part two of today. This is about accepting today the roles that God's given family. Next week again, about how do you make it all work? We're gonna pull some pieces together. But one more thing I don't wanna leave out in this passage of scripture in Corinthians, one more example of submission. And it's the greatest example for all of us, whether you're husband, wife, child, makes no difference. It's this, and it says, Paul said, and God has authority over Christ. God has authority over Christ. What's the point there? Jesus was submissive to his Father. Jesus, the Creator. Jesus, the King of the universe. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was submissive to his Father. Do you remember what he prayed the night before he was crucified? As he That night, he knew what the next day was going to bring. He knew the suffering. He knew the humiliation. He knew the trials. He knew the rejection. He knew the crucifixion that was about to take place in his life in the next 24 hours. And there he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. There was a cross ahead of him. And as a man, Jesus wrestled with that. I would too, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't like to know that tomorrow is Monday and I got to do something I really don't want to do. Went to his father who had authority over him. And in his prayer, Matthew chapter 26, he said, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He was submitting to God's will. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that was easy for Jesus? The Bible says he sweat great drops of blood poured from the pores of his body. That's how difficult this was for him. Right now, some of you are saying, God, I don't think I want to accept this role that you've given me, whether it's as husband and responsible to God and realize he's going to hold me accountable for my family, my marriage, 
Whether it's as, as a wife, I'm gonna, I need to hold, see my husband as God's authority in my life or as kids re- recognizing who your parents are. And I don't know that I want to accept this role. And God, that's going to be really hard. And some of you are saying that for this to happen in my life, there's going to have to be some real changes take place in my heart to do, God, what you expect of me. Well, let me ask you a question. Who ever said to you that living the Christian life was going to be easy? If somebody told you that, they were a liar. It's not. Jesus showed us that while it's not easy and while it might even be scary, God's will, what you will, Father, is what matters because that's what's best not only for me but for my family, for everybody that impacts my life. And my life impacts. He made up this thing God did called family. He knows how to make it work. There are two things I'd like you to do this week. We wrap this up. Two things. Number one, I'm going to post within the next 24 hours on our church blog site, I'm going to post some links that will give you some places to go that you can click on with your computer and go, and that will give you some resources and some articles to read about all these different things we're talking about in this series. I hope that you'll do that. Check it out. The second thing I want you to do is if you have questions and would like to hear some answers next Sunday, because that's what I'm going to be doing is giving some answers to some of the questions I already know you're asking. And if you submit a question to me, email me, and, and the, uh, my email address is there in your notes. Email me. And, and please understand, if you send me an email, I'm not going to stand up and call your name and, and say, so-and-so says, yeah, but what if my husband's just a nut? You know, I'm not going to do that, okay? Not going to go there. But if you'll email me, I'll do my best to answer some of these things for you. Check the blog. Send me some questions. Next week, we're going to talk about how to make it happen. Hope to see you here. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.